Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Enjoying this nice, cool Indiana weather? <laughs> no, you're not, because it is not nice nor cool. We had a whole bunch of tech issues, but the iPad is working, so it would seem. I had already enlisted my uh, daughter, Emma, to drive the slides if need be, but I don't like having to say next all the time. Hopefully it won't come to that. We are going to be in Nehemiah 10. As uh, Leah mentioned, we're just kind of plowing our way through Nehemiah. I I hope uh, we're going to have some more names today. (laughs) And I hope as you start to think to yourself, that's again, I'm actually going to mention it, but a lot of these names are going to hopefully start to sound familiar. We've read them, the same names, a number of times as we've gone through this. And uh, that's kind of worth noting because it does paint a picture that this was a very specific time with a lot of specific people that were doing specific things. We don't have a lot of history about these folks. The names are going to rattle off like, well, who is uh, Meshulam and Abijah? I don't know. I don't know that anybody knows anymore. But they're in the Word of God, not necessarily because of who they were, but because of what was happening at the time. Uh, and it really does make this hopefully feel more real. So today's, a, today's kind of the, the covenant day that Mike handed out last week. I'm not giving any spoilers because Nehemiah 9 ended with, and now we're going to have us a big covenant. And then it's like, Part one credits, right? Like, oh, but what happens? It's a cliffhanger. Today we're going to, I don't know, fall off the cliff. I don't know what, what the proper term is there. But if you, you've got your Bibles, join with me. We'll be uh, reading through Nehemiah 10 together. And um, if you don't have a Bible, it should be on the screen. And after this, we'll pray and we'll jump right in. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malchijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Malak, Haram, Meramoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Genethon, Baruch, Mashulam, Abijah, Mijamin, Mazaliah, Bilgai, Shemaiah. These are the priests. And the Levites, Jeshua, son of Azaniah, Benwai, the sons of Henadad, Cadmiel, and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalida, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Riab, Rashabiah, Zakur, Sherabiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, Benenu, the chiefs of the people, Perash, Pehath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Bani, Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvi, Aden. Ader, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashem, Bezai, Heref, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hazir, Meshezabel, Zadok, Jadua, Paladia, Hanan, Aniah, Hoshea, pardon me, Hoshea, what am I reading, right? Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashab, Halahash, Pillah, Shobek, Reim, Hashabna, Maseah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Malak, Haram, Bena. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law, from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. 
We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of, of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks. And to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the churches, of the chambers of the storehouse, pardon me. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the, saint, the, the, vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Pray with me, please. A lot of names here, God, uh, a very bold covenant. Uh, but I love where this chapter ends, Lord. Those words kind of echoed in my mind as I studied this and as I read it out loud today, that we will not neglect the house of our God, Lord. Um, help us to, to bear in mind that uh, the, the church, your church, the people that believe the truth of the word make up this church. Uh, and to function as a church, we're going to have to be in this world and reach it. Lord, help us to, in all that we do, whether it's making covenants, uh, repenting of, of the way that we lived our lives and trying to, to live a better life and, and, and follow your law more adequately, Lord, giving you all the glory, Lord, help us to remember those words and not neglect the house of our Lord. Thank you for this time of study, Lord. Please uh, bless it, bless us, and uh, help us to grow in you this day. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. All right, let's start with call to action. Now, I know we usually end with this. If you follow along, we always have this call to action bit at the end where we try to make things kind of practical and applicable, stuff we could do this week, not just think about. Um, but but if, you, if you will, 8, 9, and 10, chapter 10 is like the call to action part of this, this little tale of repentance, right? What are we going to do? They studied the Word in 8. They worshiped, they read the law, they were convicted by the law. In 9, we see this invitation to follow God. This is right out of Mike's notes last week. They basically recite what they learned. They indicate they understand it. They know what's going on. They know their own shortcomings. They know what they want to do to fix it. And then in chapter 10, we have the actual covenant. That's what's next. Actually following God. What we see them talking about here is first, who is going to commit we just rattle off a whole bunch of who's. Probably mispronounced at least 60% of those names. But that's who it was, give or take. Then what will be committed to, and finally, the commitment. 
Now, to rewind a little bit, the sea of names, you should recognize these. Hopefully, some of them do. There's always a few when we go through these laundry lists. I don't know if anybody else feels this way. A few names that I find interesting. Big Vi is one for me. There's a guitar player named Steve Vi. Excellent guitar player. I hear Big Vi, I think of a giant version of Steve Vi. It's stuck in my head. That's the third or fourth time I think we've said Big Vi. So there's, what, what we're seeing here is, is Nehemiah, of course, wanting to make it clear who is in the covenant. Now, there's some big generalities after we get past the list of names, like all the priests and all the people, basically everybody. That's fine. But these are folks who put their name on the line, which is dotted. And in our world today, that makes a big difference, right? My whole family wanted to purchase a house, but whoever signs the mortgage paperwork is on the hook for it. Everybody else could get tired of it and leave. But the person that signed, that's who the bank wants to talk to. Don't believe me? Stop paying your mortgage. And uh, you'll be surprised how quickly somebody wants to talk to you about that. And it's usually the person that signed. So these people have put their names down. They are in. They understand what they're going to do. They understand the, 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 the reasons for the, this, this covenant. They've talked it through. They've learned. They've studied. They're ready to commit. They're going to put their name down, and by that, they will be able to be held accountable. Remember you said, right? You agreed to this. If you change your mind, you say, well, we're not really going to live by the law. No, 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 no. The covenant was signed. Now, these days, we could say promise, and like, well, maybe I promise, maybe I don't. People break covenants all the time. But this would have been a big deal. This is a very formal covenant. This would be similar, if you will, to an oath of office. The oath of office that's taken by folks in our government today, right? The president, when he becomes the president, they, they make him put his hand on a Bible or whatever nowadays, but normally it'd be a Bible, and you basically swear that you're going to do stuff. And there's a lot of other stuff I'm probably going to do, but this stuff is non-negotiable. That's what this is. This is their oath of office. The word oath is actually going to come up later. Well, so what are they committing to? Chapter 9 which we covered uh, last week and uh, also in our small group today, a very clear understanding of the knowledge of Scripture. The Scripture that they had, they kind of recited the story of Israel to that point. We have done our homework. We know. We see who God is, what God has done, how God is faithful, how we are not, how our fathers blew it. Despite the miraculous things that God did, how much they screwed that up. They covered all this in 9, chapter 9. Here we see a clear understanding of the application of Scripture. Now that we know what they did, we want to fix that. They desire to correct the poor behavior of the past. I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, uh, but I can. There are things that I saw my parents do that I thought, I'll never do that. Some things I realized I see why they did that. Other things I think, no, I could probably improve on that. They had the same reaction with their parents. There's a pretty strong desire just generationally in our existence to do better than the generation before. We want to, 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 to avoid the landmines that they avoided. Now, those of us that have, are sitting here today probably know that that's all fine and good, but there's other landmines that our parents never got to that I'm now stepping on, and hopefully my daughter will avoid those in her life. But that's what they're trying to do. We want to fix what they did. They screwed up, and the reason they did it is because they lost sight of what they were supposed to do. They lost sight of the goodness of God. They lost sight of the faithfulness of God. They began to think maybe they could do it better, but not us, right? But again, committed to what? And they, they do list some things out here. Now, these would be, if you will, the oath of office, the big stuff, right? They, they mention this stuff by name. 
No marriage between Jews and Gentiles. Why would they call that out? It was hugely problematic. This could have been a problem in the, in the old days as well. I mean, it was still law, but there wasn't as much intermingling. We didn't have this massive exodus uh, and then a, then a coming back, right? There was an exodus from Egypt and they all left together. Now we had them getting pulled out and then brought back. And while some people were in a way and others stood behind, now you got is just a whole bunch of confusion about who's a Jew and who's a Gentile. The law has been largely abandoned. They're just kind of doing whatever they want. Well, we're stopping this. We're not going to do that anymore. God said we need to keep the, the Jews marrying the Jews and the Gentiles marrying the Gentiles, and we, we have to fix this issue. So that's what we're going to do. We're committing to that. We're covenanting to that. Second, no work or sales on the Sabbath. This would have been relatively common in the Jewish culture to not do this on a Sunday. Well, Saturday or whatever they were practicing at the time, right? The day of the week that was the Sabbath, just leave it at that. They would not have done that. They wouldn't have gone out and tilled the fields. They wouldn't have made food. They Minimal cooking. They prepped meals the night before. It was a pretty serious ordeal. When it was just the Jewish people, that was relatively simple. Now, people violated it, and they would go and atone. But now, with this massive intermixing, there's this notion of we do business seven days a week. So... The outsiders are coming in to train on a Sunday. Well, we, you know, we can make a little money. Let's trade with them, right? It's good business to be open. So let's just open up seven days a week. Well, no, we're not doing that. We're bringing the Sabbath back to holiness. We don't trade amongst ourselves, right? Yes, absolutely. But if outsiders come, we're not going to trade with them. And they said, all right, put it on the page. So that's listed in the covenant. And then finally, the last two here are supporting the material needs of the temple Clearly, it's a problem then as much as it is now. If there's no money, uh, eventually the church cannot do the things that the church needs to do. The, at the time, they list off a whole bunch of things that were very important to them. Bread, uh, you know, fruit, wine, uh, you know, sacrifices to be laid for atonement. All this is needed for the operation of the church. It's supposed to be provided by the Jewish people. This has probably been diluted over time. Well, I don't have very much. We're barely getting by. It's a different scenario here. And they touch on that a little bit, you know, where they are versus where they were. But we still have to support the temple, even if there's a king. And even if the king's not on board and the king's taking more of our money than he did back in the day, we have to figure it out. And then the last one is we're going to work as designated. We're going to work as God prescribed it. Whatever we do, however we do it, is going to be God's way. If God gives us a clear path, we're going to do it. If he doesn't, we could talk about the best way to accomplish it, but there's some stuff when it comes to Jewish law that God's really particular about. Sounds pretty serious. It is very serious. So I want to make this really clear now as we move through this chapter. The covenants are promises made specifically with God as arbiter. So an arbiter is one that's like given full charge to oversee something. When you, I make a deal, if I make a deal with Steve, who's going to drive to the supermarket and something comes up, we'll, we would kind of be co-arbiters. We, we don't say, all right, meet me outside, and then we'll have Mike oversee a covenant of who's going to drive. It'd be a little heavy-handed. We're just, it's a driving arrangement. In this case, this is way, way, way more serious. What they are trying to do, what they are trying to invoke here is we are swearing before God to God with God, that we're going to do the following things. As you might guess, it means that deceit is not smart, as God knows everything. Right? Being, a, being omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent means you're not going to get one by God. 
We see evidence of this throughout the Bible. But a covenant made in this manner basically says, hey, I brought a third of a shekel or whatever we agreed to. Okay. If you didn't, then uh, may God do with you what he will, which could be death, could be a curse of some. Who knows, right? But God's in charge. Don't lie. You can fool us, but you can't fool God. And symbolically, this was a curse and an oath. That's not my terms. This is exactly what's in the word. <laughs> they refer to it in themselves here in Nehemiah 10.29. Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. That's how they're viewing it. Curse and an oath. Kind of strange. I don't think we use this kind of terminology. It's like, if I were like, hey, once, uh, can you pick me up? Like, uh, Yeah. I need you to swear before God that you'll pick me up. I'd probably be like, no. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen between here and there, but I'm not going to do that because that sounds pretty ominous, right? Picking you up, probably not going to warrant a curse and an oath. I could blow it. I could forget. I don't necessarily want to be condemned for that. But if somebody says, hey, you've got a, you're adopting a child, I need you to, I need you to, to take a covenant before God that you are going to care for this child as best you can for the remainder of your life. Okay, I'll probably do that because that's very serious. I want the kids to know. I want the, everybody around me to know. I want to be held accountable for this decision. I want to be held accountable if I say I'll pick somebody up and I don't make it. Sure, but it's a much smaller thing in scale to, let's say, raising a child, or in this case, correcting an entire godly society's misguidedness. The reason it's a curse and an oath is that if we're wrong, we're cursed by our ignorance. If we made an oath that we're, you know, if we make a covenant we can't keep up with it, if it was a bad choice, if we break it, we're cursed. We should have known we couldn't do it. If I covenant with you that I'll give you $10,000 an hour for the remainder of my life, I can't do that. I'm going to be cursed by my own ignorance to make such a bold promise that I can't possibly execute on. If we're right, then we're sworn to our oath. If I can do it, then I better stick with it. I can't change my mind later. I didn't, but it's not part of the covenant. Now, some covenants can have an out. You could agree. I will pick you up unless my car breaks down. Okay, I didn't break the covenant. We agreed that if this, that, if this happens, then that. But there's no conditions here, right? That would be a condition. This is no condition. Not saying we'll serve you, God, as long as you take care of us. As long as we've got, you know, good crops and the, the livestock is healthy and our kids are obedient. Uh, but once they stop doing that, Lord, then we're out of here. Wouldn't have been much of a covenant. That was kind of the intrinsic covenant that the Israelites and all of us make with God, sadly. But in this case, that's not the goal. They are saying, we are going to do what God's law says. Let us be cursed by this if it becomes a problem for us. But we make an oath. We are going to do it. Either way, God's in charge and will hold us to it. And to reiterate, a covenant is serious. This is not something that you fold up, put in a drawer, and go about your life. That's just a decision. What show do you want to watch? Well, I don't know. The new Marvel movie looks pretty awesome. Honey, come here. We're going to swear a covenant before God that we're going to see. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> don't do that. We're just going to pick a movie. It's okay. Covenants are serious. They are not just decisions. So what are the Jews covenanting about? Back to the future. The Jews understand that God's law is critical. That should be very evident by now. They begged for it to be read to them. They, their minds were blown when it was. They took it in. They understood it. 
They were able to basically present it as a case, like this is what we learned, this is why it's important to us. It is critical to them. Here, they seek God's favor by correcting the errors of their forefathers. That's exactly what this is all about. They screwed it up. They kept breaking uh, the covenants that they made with God, and he was gracious and merciful and kept forgiving them. And then eventually they would turn their backs on him yet again, but even in a more stern way than before. And then he'd let them get pulled into exile. Then they would repent and say, we are sorry. God knew they were sorry. And he brought them back over and over, back and forth. God perennially faithful. We want that favor to remain. We do not want to become stiff-necked or stubborn-shouldered or any of that. We want to be right where we're supposed to be, giving God the attention that he needs, living, the, living out the law as God described it, being good Jews. Since God decided what a good Jew is, that's what we're going to do. Now, here's a reasonable time to furrow your brow. I do, a little bit. Hmm. Hmm. They don't know that a Savior is coming, but they should. Now, I talk a lot about throwing Nehemiah and Ezra under the bus, and I don't really want to get into bus under bus throwing or whatever uh, but when we read the old testament our goal is to figure out how we point this to christ not us it's not just history jesus is here the old testament spoke a lot about a messiah not jesus by name didn't talk about everything that he was going to do but it did talk about the coming of messiah some somebody that would save us the jews would be aware of this but they don't talk about this here. We don't see them saying, yeah, 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 we're going to be committed to this coming Messiah. They want to go back to the law. The law. We'll do it right. Wait, these guys are blowing it again. Yes and no. <laughs> so there's a clear understanding of worship, study, and repentance. I want to make that very clear. They are setting a very good example of these three things. They had a moment of worship. They studied the Word together. They indicated that they learned by basically telling the story of the Scripture in chapter 9. And now we see them repenting and saying, we're going to, com- we're going to covenant, we're going to commit to doing it right. What we don't see a clear understanding of is a need for a Savior. The law will save us. If we could just get the law sorted out, we'll be okay. We have atonements. we got the process. We're going to do everything just as God described, and we're going to square it up. They are still seeking to work their way into God's presence. Now, I say yes and no because it's hard to blame them in some regards to go back and look at some very specific prophecies that aren't nearly as detailed as the law and start to know the notion about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit before about, do you think these folks are all saved? Do you think they're all in heaven? Well, number one, we don't know. But there's some indications that other, you know, Nehemiah, Ezra, certainly others, began to trust God, knowing that God is sovereign and will save. However he chooses to do it, this is true. They believe in a Messiah that hasn't yet been there. Maybe they read the prophecies, got into it. We certainly don't hear from everybody, just a few people. But the tone here is one of, we're going to go back and be better Jews than any other Jews that came before us. What we know is that will not save them. Only Jesus can do that. They're still seeking to work their way into God's presence. So the covenant that they're taking, we know, is going to fail. We will abide by God's law. 
Spoiler alert, church, if you ever sit before, sit and hear somebody or stand before or whatever, and somebody says to you, I have made a covenant to follow God's law and I have done it successfully, they're lying. That is false teaching. Cannot be done. Try as you may, cannot be done. The very fact that you're preaching about it in some regards would be a violation of staying true to the law. We don't see Christ doing this. Christ didn't walk around and talk about how good he was. Look at all the things I don't do. Look at the lack of sin in my life. It's evident. You don't need to brag about it. You don't need to instruct the world to act more sinless like me. It's follow me. <laughs> Our pointing should be towards Jesus, not good works. But these folks are stuck trying to figure out how we correct this. We want God's favor back. That comes from following the law. So let's uh, talk about points to ponder. Regarding covenants, four things. Be cautious in your covenants. Be diligent in your covenants. Be specific in your covenants. And be faithful in your covenants. Let's talk about being cautious. Uh, in this case, to kind of harp on this yet again, the Jews are well aware of their need for repentance. That applies to us. We too should be aware of our need for repentance. Through this, we should know that our covenants need to be based on understanding and not emotion. Uh, the 5,000-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to covenants that are not based off of understanding many times, but are more on emotion, is marriage. A lot of people, oh, we're in love and we're in a whirlwind, this, that, and the other, so let's just get married. And then we take a serious covenant. We stand before a priest and we say, till death do us part. We don't mean it. We don't even understand what that means. I don't hardly even know what's going on. We haven't had a time of study together where we learn. This, is, this happens far too often. And then once the emotion fades, we realize, well, there's nothing here. There's no substance. It was all dopamine. It was all chemical reactions when I was in their presence. Now that's faded away, and I don't want to be here anymore. So I went out. And we wonder why nobody can stick to anything. Well, it's easy. I mean, I made, a, I made an oath with somebody and said, I, we, this doesn't end until we die. But it did end, and it's okay. Can God forgive that? Absolutely. Let me make this very clear. We're not talking about condemnation for all time. God is a God of forgiveness and grace and mercy, but we oughtn't rely on that, make a bunch of false covenants, and then depend on grace. Paul says, may it never be, right? Don't, don't get into this habit of just covenanting on everything. Don't make commitments that you can't stick up to. Don't do it. No, be cautious in the covenants you make. Curses and oaths are serious and should not be taken lightly. If somebody wants to make a covenant, if you want to commit to a marriage, if you want to commit to a church membership, if you want to commit to adoption, Whatever, these big, serious things, be cautious. Understand the need in the midst of this. What is this covenant going to do? What's the point? What's the long-term ramification? Do I really know what I'm getting into? What we saw from two chapters here was the, the Jews demonstrating they knew exactly what they were getting into. We studied a long time. Here's what we learned. That's correct. Now we're committing to this. I've known this person for a long time. We've had really verbose discussions about what we, both, what we both want from life and marriage and this, that, and the other. Now we're ready to make a covenant. Somebody walking by in the midst of the, of, of the reading of the word probably wasn't like, oh my gosh, that sounds great. I'm, I want to be saved. Baptize me immediately. This happens a lot today. In churches all too often, absolutely, get in the water. 
I don't know anything about you. You don't know me, but I'm willing to tell you you're saved because you had a moment where you were very lost and sad and you heard an inspiring lyric or something struck you. No knowledge of the commitment you're about to make. No knowledge of the Savior or committing your life to follow. But you feel pretty good. Emotions are high. And we wonder why folks come in, go, for, go through a big hilltop experience and their tears are down their face and I can't go back and he's changed my heart and I'm a new person. And then six weeks later, it's like it never happened. There was no understanding. It was only emotion. Be cautious. Second, be diligent in your covenants. If you're going to commit, go all in. God is no proponent of wishy-washy choices. There's actually some very on-point direct verses saying, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no, right? Don't be lukewarm. Pick a side. Do something serious. If you're going to say you're in on a covenant, then be in. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, or none of it. When we commit, we should want our names recorded. Now, when we talk about marriage, that's a, marriage is a good, it's a good comparison because it's relatively common, and it's still treated as a pretty serious covenant when it comes to the, the paperwork and the procedure. Um, you have to go get like a, a license and get it approved, and someone has to sign it and make it official. That's what a covenant was here, right? They all put their names down. They signed it. It was official. That's what marriage is. It's official. It's recognized. This is proper. Our names are down. I'm the witness. I was there when they were wed. These two are married. Thus, legally, we count them as such. No ifs, ands, or buts. Done and done. When we talk about diligence in this, when we make commitments about anything, marriage is one example, but there could be any number of things. Joining a church. uh, Helping somebody to do something. Uh, something very small. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a, a mentor to you in this regard. And I, as a mentor, am promising to do certain things, and you as a student are going to do things as well. Put it on paper. Sign it. It makes it serious. And when you look at this on paper and you say, well, I don't want my name down. I don't even understand. Well, then stop. That goes back to the first one. Let's understand what we're committing to and why we're doing this. The word covenant isn't used very much today. We don't talk about it. Uh, there's a covenant for our, our homeowners association, right? We talk about a covenant that we agree upon there. Okay, we have to stick by that or you can get in trouble this and the other. But I don't, you know, no one's really signing and thinking, well, this is a lifelong commitment to my homeowners association. That's about the only time I see that word used very often outside of marriage. We see it a lot in the Old Testament. It's kind of gone the way of the dodo because we just, quite frankly, I don't think we want to commit to anything anymore. I'm committed until it doesn't benefit me the way I want it to be benefited to me. I don't, uh, until, until it doesn't benefit me the way I want to be benefited, and then I'm out of here. I'm going to find something different. You changed. Anybody ever heard that before? Well, you're the one that changed, not me. This was great until I loved that, but then it wasn't me. Everything was great, and I kept, I'm doing the same thing I've always done, but everything else got di- different weird. Now I'm out of here. Pretty, pretty, pretty sad when it comes to something like a covenant. So the solution that we've taken as a society is just not to covenant anymore. Well, I say we turn that on its head a little bit, right? Let's make some commitments. Let's do it. But let's be really clear about what we're committing to. Put it down on paper. Put your name down to it. If it's something serious that's going to affect you and somebody else and, and we're doing this for the glory of God, why wouldn't we want to be as specific as possible? Sometimes through explaining a covenant. I mean, there's a, a notion of marriage counseling that sometimes happens before marriage. And there's a lot of times where people are like, man, why are you guys uh, wanting to do this, right? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's 
she's super hot and he's pretty strong or whatever. Like, <laughs> really? Do you think she's going to remain super hot and he's going to remain super strong? Spoiler alert, you're not. You're both going to slowly turn to dust over the next 50 years. So if you're not in it through the dustiness, don't be in it through the lustiness, right? Like, you're, you're going to stick around or you're not. So put it down on the paper. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be with some old bag, and I don't want to be with some weakling. Like, well, then why are you doing this? What's the point? We don't want to put our names down. I don't even know what we're doing here. Let's learn about what marriage is supposed to be. Maybe you still want to do it. Or maybe you think to yourself, maybe I ought to be thinking about something more than hot or strong or whatever and look for something a little bit more engaging that I can be a part of for the next 50 years. Third, be specific in your covenants. The divine is in the details. You see what I did? I took devil and made it divine. But in this case, that's what we see here, right? If you, want to, if you really want to be meaningful in, in an agreement that you make, even if it's not a formal covenant, be specific. If you can't make it clear, don't make it a covenant. This whole, I don't know, but I just want to be part of something. I'm not sure what it is about it, but I just, I'm crazy. But I'm so excited. Why? I don't know, but I just am. In the church, when we get to this place, we just say, hold on, man, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. A lot of times what we'll hear is, ooh, it must be the Spirit leading you. It could be a Spirit. doesn't necessarily mean it's the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of them out there talked about in the Bible. They're not all good, and they certainly don't all want our best. So the notion that we don't understand and this, that, and the other, it's probably not worth making covenant over. Specificity makes measuring easier. When we talk about God being the arbiter of covenants, the notion of there being an arbiter means there's somebody that can sit over the covenant and basically run the scoreboard. I'm the arbiter. You are in compliance with the covenant. You have broken the covenant. Well, how do you know, arbiter? Well, because I know exactly what we all agreed to. You said this and this and this and this. Here's the violation. It's very clear. If I were to say, let's make a covenant that I'll be nice to my wife. Okay, we all sign on that, right? And she comes back later and says, well, uh, you know, I, I, I bought an outfit, and he said it didn't look very good. That wasn't very nice. And I would say, well, no, I said that because I know you wouldn't want to go out not looking your best. I just didn't think, I thought I was being nice. Well, but you know, I didn't see it as nice. So, arbiter, what do you say? Well, what kind of covenant is this? What was the point of making a covenant to be nice? That's not what they're saying here. God, we're going to be nice. <laughs> we're going to be lawful. No, they spelled it out. Be specific. When you're specific about covenants that you make, when you're specific about what you're going to do in marriage, things like vows. Once again, I know I'm going back to marriage, but marriage is really kind of the last covenant that nearly everybody's familiar with. You spell it out. We repeat after the, ah, you know, state your name, do solemnly swear, you know, to be a, a, a husband of one. Like, this is a protocol that we use, however you spell that out, to where this is what I'm going to do. And now you say what you're going to do. We agree we swear an oath, it's a covenant, we sign it, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. We know exactly what's expected. No middle ground, no gray areas. When that starts to happen, what, one of two things is going to happen. One, it becomes, uh, you, you're, you don't understand what I want, and this whole thing is a mess, and it doesn't mean anything. Or it becomes completely just inert, right? Like we, we either get to blows, and the covenant's broken, and I want restitution, or we just forget the whole thing ever happened, right? Like, oh, that was silly. Uh, be nice. That was a dumb covenant to begin with. Well, maybe. But maybe if it was more specific, it could have been useful. Be specific. And lastly, be faithful in your covenants. 
You probably think, well, that should be first. Yeah, I would say that's probably fair, right? If you can't be faithful, what's the point of this? But all four of these things work together to make covenants worth anything in our world, right? Don't give up. Don't give up. If you've made a covenant, if you've made a decision, if you've made a promise, if you've committed to something in your heart, seriously, I want to do this, I want to do better, losing weight, spending time with my family, coming to church, serving God, being a good husband, being a good spouse, wife, uh, being you know, present in my job, being engaged at work, don't give up. Even if there's a ton of setbacks, the whole point of this chapter is they have basically recounted years, hundreds of years of setbacks, and they are not going to give up. Covenants are a great test of our reliance on God. Our faithfulness in the covenant will be born of God in our lives. My ability to be faithful of anything is horrific. My faith is like shifting sand. It's a wonderful song. Check it out. Shifting sand. Spells it out beautifully. It's worthless. It's, it's all the time drifting. It's there. And there's a time when you maybe feel like you can stand on it, but then the waves come. And now, oh boy, I need something bigger than my faith. My faithfulness in a covenant's not going to get me there. Our faith will weaken, perhaps fold. God's faithfulness, will, God's faithfulness will not rely on him. I don't think I can do it anymore. Rely on God. If it's a covenant, stick through it. God, see me through this. I don't love them. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be a part of this. Now, I want to be very clear about a couple things here before I wrap up. <clears throat> I mentioned covenants have, in a covenant, you can have a way out, an out clause. We're going to do this until, we're going to commit to serve in this manner until we can no longer do that due to health. And then once somebody falls ill, the covenant is over. We've fulfilled the covenant, if you will, okay? When I talk about relying on faithfulness, not giving up, things like abuse are a, 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 that's a, a, always a mechanism by which a covenant could be broken, specifically marriage. I cite it a lot. But a, a spouse that is battering or abusing has effectively abandoned the marriage, and the, and the marriage is now uh, subject to... That, that covenant can be broken because of the behavior of the one individual. Lording a covenant over somebody is wholly inappropriate. You swore to me. Bad perspective. Now, a lot of that can be fixed by being specific in your covenants. However, I know there are deceivers. And this is why you want to be very careful with covenants. If you are stuck in a covenant and you're struggling with either correcting this or putting up with it or should I go or whatever else, get some counseling from somebody that you trust. That's the number one advice. If you're in a church, please talk to the eldership Start a process of discussion to see what needs to happen next. There are going to be times when you do need to stay the course in a covenant. I don't know which covenants those are going to be, and I can't speak for any given covenant from the pulpit generally to the whole world. So just know that when I say God's faithfulness will not fail, this is true. No matter what happens, God's faithfulness is, is not going to be a problem. You can rely on Him. But I'm not saying that uh, somebody that's abusive, for instance, that perhaps has tricked you into a covenant now uh, you're beholden to them for all times because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and this, that, and the other. Uh, seek wise counsel in that case. So what about us? Number one, be judicious with your promises. Take some time. We see a lot of this in this chapter as well. Not necessarily about this, but like we see Nehemiah like, hey, I went and sought counsel with myself. I prayed. I took some time. I thought about it. I talked to other people maybe. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about marrying this person. What do you guys think? Uh, who? <laughs> Right? Uh, well, but we just meant it's great. Well, maybe careful with that covenant, right? 
I went to this church. I was there for 15 minutes. I'm going to join it and commit my life to it. Well, hold on a minute. You know, what do we know about the church? What, do, what does this mean? What kind of covenant are we talking about here? Right? Be judicious. When a covenant is called for, give it thought and prayer. Don't rush into it and certainly don't rush out of it. When that curse and oath is put to the test, rely on God. Please, this is a huge bullet. This is one I struggle with. I, I have a lot of understanding and I'd love to rely on it. Huge mistake for Chris to do this. I need to, rely on under, I need to rely on God. God built my brain. He constructed it. He's put the understanding in there that's there. But if my understanding uh, somehow falls in, 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 in conflict with the Word of God or with something along those lines, then that's a problem, and I oughtn't to rely on it. And finally, know that we have the best example of covenant faithfulness in Jesus. Jesus covenanted with God that the Father's will be done. When we talk about these covenants, that's an agreement that Jesus said, not my will, but yours. That's a covenant. That covenant cost Jesus his life, but God. What we know is, yes, he, 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 he gave everything he could, but he bore the wrath of God. He saved us. His atonement covers all the elect. If our covenants cost us our lives, we too can rely on God. Jesus' covenant cost him his life, but he saved all of mankind. But the the, the example that was set by his faithfulness to the work of the Father is, I, I, I can't even hardly wrap my mind around it. If I think about it too much, it's almost, it just brings me to tears. It's incredible what he has done. That covenant set the tone for all of our covenants. I can only have a covenant worthwhile because of what Christ has done, because of what God has done in me. The rest of it is, is largely immaterial. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for a, a great chapter about the power of covenants, Lord, the agreements, the promises that we make, how we as believers especially should approach committing to anything in a very serious way. Whether we're going to write it down on paper or we're just going to say something in passing, Lord, help us to be mindful that when we tell somebody that we're going to do something or we tell you, God, that we are going to do something, that we ought to make sure that we understand what we're committing to do and we should be willing to do it. Lord, we do this and we understand the severity of this because of the word that you've given us and we see what covenants mean, how important they are to you. And we see the example that you have set in your faithfulness all the way to the cross to fulfill a covenant that you make, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for the word that changes lives every time it is read aloud. Senior